And as you are seated, turn in your copy of God's Word to Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews 13. If you have your bulletin there, you'll notice that that's not the passage which is written inside of your bulletin, and uh, that's just as uh, I, with what happened yesterday with the passing of Pastor Doug, I just felt that it was appropriate that the Spirit would have us to move in a different direction and just to consider this passage. I had originally planned to preach this a couple weeks ago. I had COVID. Sam preached the same passage, but you'll see you could take, you know, same passage, two people, you'll have two different sermons. So by God's grace, we will. Wait till you hear the one I left off of this week. You'll see why it maybe didn't fit today. I mean, it's just powerful and challenging and good, but um, God has something different for us today. And so, really, we're going to be two passages, Hebrews 13, but we'll also be back in Acts chapter 20. If you're a care group leader, I'm sorry, because I don't know what to do for a care group leading guide, but we'll put some together and put some out. Maybe you can go to the one that was two weeks ago, or we'll look to get something out to you this next week. But, you know, it really comes the question for us, how do we process the loss of, of a leader uh, for Pastor Doug, being pastor here for 49 years, and a deep impact for many of our lives. I start off the service mentioning that. And, you know, many of us feel that very deeply. And it, that's just, it calls us to some level of reflection as we think about him or any, really, any leader who's had some level of impact inside of, inside of our lives. You know, there's just the finality of it. You know, we saw, we knew this was coming. You know, I prepared most of the sermon two weeks ago. But there's still just something with the finality of it. I don't know if you felt it when you come in. You know, I mean, today is the first day, I'd, you know, I just come in. I just, I can't even come in. I think of seeing you, you know, those of you who is loved and um, knowing how it affects you, knowing the family and, um, and knowing my own heart. This is my mentor, uh, my friend and a leader to me. And so, you know, really has a, a place to consider the place of our leaders that are here. Because this is not the first time uh, that the church has lost a beloved leader, and that's what we see as we look at these two passages. There's many times in the Bible that deals with it, but that gives us guidance. And so I've called this sermon a tearful farewell, and you'll see why in a few minutes as we look through this. Grief, grief is worship, and that's what we do today, even as we look in this passage, looking to Christ, looking to God above, And the hope that's in him. So this is Hebrews chapter 13. Let me read verses 7 and 8. This is the word of God. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come here today, we come just uh, many of us grieving Many of us just calling out to you, God, would you be glorified? Would you strengthen and lead us, Father, into the, into the future? Help us to know how we consider things like this even today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what do we do uh, with death and what do we do with grief, especially when it's a loss of a, of, of a leader inside the body of Christ? What do we do when a leader dies? And, and sometimes... We can move very quickly on to the next thing without any reflection of what's happened and what's happening. And other times we can panic and we can worry that all things are lost. 
And that's why Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 and 8 were written for us, that neither of those problems would happen. And it's the recognition that God gives us our leaders to help us forward in our path, to help us forward in our world. That's what a good leader does, moving forward in in God's will and God's purposes for us. And that's why we're called to remember, and that's why we're called to imitate them by doing the same thing that they've done for us and then do it for others, right? We reflect, but we don't panic. We're confident in God's moving in history, that God has a plan and purpose which he is building and developing over time. And we know we're secure in Christ. That's what Hebrews 13 is about. Now, if you look at verse seven, there are three commands that are given to us in verse seven. Can you tell me what the first one is? Remember, okay, that's the first one. What's the second one? Consider, and what's the third one? Imitate. So that's what we're going to look at today. That's our outline, right? Remember, consider, imitate. Remember, consider, and imitate. Uh, This book of Hebrews was written, uh, it was a letter. Actually, a lot of people think it's a sermon that was given to uh, one of the early churches of the time. We almost call it the Sermon to the Hebrews. It was written sometime between AD 60 and 70. And one thing that they're experiencing, well, they're experiencing a lot of hardships, and one of the hardships that they themselves are faced with is a change in leadership. They are a young church. They were a church uh, which was going through trials, like persecutions, uh, sufferings. They were being ostracized by the culture around them. It says they had not yet uh, been giving their lives or shedding blood, but they had certainly seen the confiscation of property and loss for their belief in Christ. They simply didn't fit in, and other people were sure to let them know that that was the case. And they'd recently lost some leaders. So what's going to happen? The book is written for them to not give up on Jesus. Uh, They were tempted to go back to their old religious patterns, to their old uh, religious patterns in Judaism, because just thinking that this following Jesus, this Christian faith, it's, it's too hard. There's too much suffering. There's too much social ostracism uh, that it would be easier if we just fit in, if we just melded with the rest of the crowd and to not stick out. And so there's a huge temptation that they're facing to go back. And the loss of a leader is significant in that. Because a sort of grounding, a sort of, a sort of hinge, a sort of linchpin, which you're connecting them there, has, has, is gone. And so this whole letter is written to remind them that you don't, that just telling them not to trade down, not to go back in history, not to, not to trade what they have in Christ and what Jesus has done to go back to those old religious patterns. Jesus, he's pointing out, is this, the whole book is about Jesus, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament laws. We read in the Old Testament of all these sacrifices, of all these food laws, of, of these um, even things to do with fabrics, and, and, and we're reminded of, of those, and, and the book of Hebrews is a reminder to us that Jesus fulfilled all of those things. He's better than all those things. And so why would you go back to a pattern of life which is old, which is being done away with, and which is disappearing. It's to, it's to disrupt the flow of history. 
It's to go back to a bondage of, of, of a legal pattern, which was necessary, of sacrifices and laws that cannot cleanse the conscience. It'd be going backwards. It's like having a McLaren and trading back to a horse and buggy. You're not going to do that. It's like moving back in medical history 150 years before there's penicillin because we want to. Don't go back. For your own sake, he's saying, don't go back. Persevere and move forward. And so it's here at the end of this lengthy sermon. Again, Hebrews is a sermon. And at the end of it, the author gives this pointed exhortation. To remember your leaders. To consider them, to put uh, their lives in mind. Right now, you can probably remember one. Someone who has led you and someone who has led you well. And if you're especially blessed, maybe you can think of a few faces who've done that in your life. And we're reminded as we think of that person, that leader, that this is a sovereign provision for our lives. I mean, it is no accident that uh, this leader is a part of our lives. God raises up kings, he establishes kings, and he certainly establishes the people that are in our lives who make the biggest difference in our lives. Now, we may move past our leaders. In fact, I think that's the hope of most leaders. But we always give thanks because we would never be where we are except for them and their investment in us. Now, who do we remember? Remember your leaders, but then it goes on to say what? Those who spoke the word of God to you. You see a prioritization that's given here. So, some priority that's set here. Not celebrities, not athletes, not presidents. I mean, our day is gripped by celebrity. There may be no meaning there. It's just sometimes a path to escape the dullness of our lives. There's no sense in that of pushing us forward into God's will, that, that adventure, that purpose that God has for us. It's a prior, prioritization of those who speak the word of God over that celebrity. Our culture can be gripped in false perspectives of leadership. That leadership is there for power. That is there for personal accomplishment. Sometimes leaders even take on the role of leadership that they can propel themselves ahead, seeking power for themselves. But it's not the kind of leadership that God honors or the kind of leadership that we see that's here. Remember those who spoke the word of God to you. What is it that we're remembering? We're remembering what they taught us. They taught us the whys of life. They taught us the hows of life. They, first of all, shared the gospel with us, sharing how we could be reconciled to God, to be reconciled to our creator, and to know God, not in his wrath, but in his redeeming love, and to know his forgiveness, because that is the foundation for life and for our future, is to know God and to be in fellowship with him. They've helped us know what it means to grow in Christ. We call that sanctification, how to turn from what displeases Christ, what, what is wrecking our world, and moving us forward in the paths and patterns that God has for us. That's the gospel. Telling us God's love. Telling us that we can know it and experience it 
as just we would turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. They shared the gospel with us. A second thing they did that we remember is how they cared about ultimate things. They cared about ultimate things. There was a doing away with petty things. There's a doing away with petty conflicts and pointing to a more important reality of this world of sin and death and of eternal life. Turning us away from the, the lust of the flesh which would consume us, would take us down and pointing us towards what really matters for all eternity. It's knowing God and serving God in this life and investing in things that will endure forever. God, his word, people, and investing in those things. They cared about ultimate things, and they remind us of that. Our leaders who bring the word of God to us pass on the wisdom for living. Because isn't it that we got caught up in our own lives, we get caught up in what's happening, and, and what we need is some wisdom, some guidance for how is it we're raising our family, how is it we're dealing with our family and our work, how is it we please God in this life, and, and our leaders bring wisdom to bear upon us. A fourth thing, they taught us God's law. They taught us God's law, ethics. How do we live out this word of God? How is it we apply it to our lives? We'd walk in a way that is pleasing to God. And so these leaders, they've loved us, and they've shepherded us. And why? So that we would succeed in that shared mission together. That that mission, which is pulling us together, that we, together with them, would succeed in the accomplishment of that mission. And that as we do that, that we would, uh, that we would do better. That we would grow forward in moving that mission forward. That we would see our important place in it and our own place to succeed within that. And that knowing that, we pass it on. We pass it on to another generation. But more than the fact that they loved us, is the fact that they loved God. And that's why we respect them. Because it wasn't to gain something from other people, not to draw as much in this life, but the intrinsic pleasure that comes in knowing God and in serving God. We remember what they taught us. We remember those who spoke the word of God to us. All right, so that's the first one. What's the second word again? Consider, right? Consider. We see that in verse 7. What are we going to consider? You know, the first thing that jumped on me comes out of John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verses 5 and, I'm sorry, John 15, verses 5 and 8. John 15, and what does Jesus talk about here? This is Jesus' words, and he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jumping down to verse 8, he says, By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What does we consider? We consider the fruitfulness of their life. We consider that joy. We consider that love. We consider the lives that were changed because of their ministry in their lives. You know, and that fruit that we see, if we look back to Jesus' words here in John 15, that fruit that we see was there, why? Because they abided in Christ. 
They were remained in Christ. They were strengthened by Christ. They were empowered by Christ. They were motivated by Christ. It was Christ that brought them into the fruit of love and joy and seeing the fruit of changed lives that are around them. We consider their fruit. We know one of the big bits of fruit in their lives, right? And that's us. Because we know how they've changed our life. We know how they've affected us. We know how they've made us grow. And so to the struggling believers, as we think of Hebrews 13, there's a reminder, don't go back. Don't forget that contribution that's there. Let that work push you forward as you consider their way of life. Because if they had that fruit, you can have that fruit too. If they helped you get this far, can't you see you could still go farther? So as we consider that, this instruction to consider, consider, instruction to consider, let's consider Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, if you turn there, and we see this in the life of the Apostle Paul. I'm going to start, we're going to spend some time here, so seriously, turn your Bible there. Um, Acts chapter 20, I'm going to start in verse 36, and then we'll work backwards. Acts 20, 36, this is an encounter that the Apostle Paul has with some elders of a city called Ephesus. And here you have Paul. Paul is a, a convert to, from Judaism to the Christian faith. Converted miraculously, wonderfully, turned to be an apostle, turned to be a church planner all throughout um, you know, the known world at that time. He's a world traveler. He wrote a third of the New Testament. And yet, what you're going to see in this passage here, he was a deeply connected leader. So let's look at that. Verse 36, and when he, that's the Apostle Paul, had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the tearful farewell. Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul is on a boat ride to Jerusalem. He's finished his third missionary journey. He has a needed um, donation, financial contribution to the church in Jerusalem. There's a famine there. He's, a number of churches have pooled in money together to send this money off to Jerusalem to care for the church in the midst of this famine. And on his way back, he stops over in a place called Miletus. You can see that if you jump back to verse 17. Now from Miletus, that's where he was. He sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. All right, so here he is. He is in a place called Miletus, and he calls back to a city that he worked in for some length of time. It's actually the city he'd worked in the longest. In all of his missionary journeys, he'd spent three, at least three years there as kind of a home base in a lot of his ministry. Sometimes he went back and forth. And we see he had this special affection for, these, for this church that is in Ephesus. Uh, you know, when you could read the story earlier in Acts, but, you know, you see um, lots of conversions to Christ, you see rioting happening because of disruption that so many people are coming to Christ. It's affecting the whole city. And as a result of the rioting, now they're being persecuted and they're suffering troubles. 
But praise God, it was all quelled, it stopped, and he was able to get to know them, to invest in their lives, and to invest in them for a period of time. And so here he is in the city of Miletus. He can't go to Ephesus, but he says, I really, really, really want to talk to those elders. And so he sends a message to them, come visit me down in Miletus. And these leaders, they come and do it. And so this is a, a 30 mile, somewhere between 30 and 60 miles, depending where you go, land by sea. It's like a one, so it's not like us 30 miles, right? That's easy. You know, back then, you know, that's a one-day trip to a three-day trip in order to go down and see him. And they go see him. They go spend time together. That's how, that, that's the connection that they had. They just experienced so much together that they wanted to hear these words. And for him, as we see, these are his last words that he um, anticipates having with them. And it's his final departure. We've read they're never going to see his face again. Uh, they weep much. They embrace and they kiss. And it shows this affection and the bond that they have been able to form over time. That connection between the leader and the people that he has served. And yet they know their calling, as we see at the end of the passage. Their calling is to help him on to his next spot. And their calling is to remain and to continue the work that he's already set them doing. Now what I want to look at is what caused that affection? What is it that we consider of his life as we see the connection that they had together? Let's jump back to verse 18. These elders come and they visit him from Miletus, uh, from Ephesus to Miletus. Uh, Acts 20, 18, it says, And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. For the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. I have 12 things total. I'll go fast. First of all, we see his heart to serve the Lord. Don't we see that in verse 18? His heart to serve the Lord. It's not about himself. He's not using the church to get what he wants. He is doing what he did under God, and he's doing it for God. Sometimes we can tell when somebody's doing something for us, but really all they want is something for themselves. Somebody I heard recently described as a kind of a smell. I mean, person A and person B might be saying the same thing, but person B, there's just something that just doesn't smell right about this conversation. You just know it's, you know, I just feel like they're in it for something for themselves. This other person, they care about me. They care about the Lord. You know, that's what we see in the model of the Apostle Paul, a heart to serve the Lord. The second thing we see in verse 19 is his humility. His humility. He brought the spirit with him. He's not putting his own needs, his own desires first, but others' desires. Humility thinks, what do these people need and how can I meet that need? Humility listens, but pride thinks, what can these people do for me? I mean, I can figure out a problem and I can give them that answer to the problem I'm going to give them and conveniently that's going to help me move ahead. But the humble leader points to God as the ultimate solution. Not glory for himself, but glory for others. We see in verse 19, tears. Tears, that's the third thing, tears. Weeping with them over the brokenness of the world, over the consequence of sin, over the suffering and death, over stubborn, unrepentant heart. He felt their suffering. He was sympathetic, imploring even over tears that they would be saved. He's a concern for souls. The fourth thing we see in verse 19 is trials. 
trials. How committed was he to the good of others? So willing that he entered into suffering to see their good accomplished. A leader, a good leader, is willing to suffer for love's sake. They take on burdens they don't even need to take on just to help others. They choose a path of difficulty. So that's our first four. Let's look at verse 20. Verse 20 goes on. Um, He says, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. You see a courage that's there. That's our fifth one, courage. Even when the message was opposed, it was so important. He had such a vision for God that not even the threats of others would stop him. Courage is important. We see number six, persistence, or something I've been reading a lot about recently called grit. And I just pray we're gritty. You know, what did he do? But he went public, house to house in his ministry. There's just this unrelenting vision to keep things going with the gospel. And if public ministry doesn't work, well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go into people's houses. Whatever it takes. A sort of unstoppable attitude that this kind of leader, you know, just so passionate, so purposeful of what's there, doesn't know when to quit. And that's the part of success. We need leaders of grit. We need people to have grit. Verse 21, as you go on, he says, testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We see number seven, fairness. Fairness. You know, it's the same message to all. He's speaking with the Jewish people and the non-Jewish people. He's dealing with all sorts of ethnic groups. There's, there's no distinction in sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't have a racial profile. He didn't have a racial prejudice in the people he spoke to. Because he knows this, there's one way of eternal life that all people creating the image of God need to know that one way of life. And so he goes and he makes it known. Fairness. And we see number eight, faithful. Faithful to the message. There's a clarity that he has in sharing the gospel. He gave the hard message of repent, the hard message. You need to repent of your sins and the hopeful message of grace, that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that there's life in him. Faithful to the message. It shows integrity, not to change the audience, not to change the message for different audiences. Look at verse 22. And 23. So that was number eight, faithful the message. Verse 22 and 23. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Number nine, he listened to God's Spirit. I mean, he was directed by, by a higher power than just simply internal motivation, higher than just a scripted set of plans. That is a motivation that comes from God himself and seeing the need there and moving the place where there is need. In this case, Jerusalem and seeing the needs that are there of the church that is in famine. He's attentive to the needs of the moment. He listens to what the Spirit would have him to do. And number 10, we see his realism, right? Number 10, he's realistic. He knows that suffering is ahead and he still goes for it. Now, I have some good news for pessimists here today. That I looked at this research this week, I just happened to see this. It shows that optimists tend to make worse decisions. I don't know if you saw the headline. Optimists tend to make worse decisions, and that's because they think everything's going to work out, and so they don't work far enough ahead to avoid problems. Well, that's not the case with the Apostle Paul. 
right? He's realistic. I don't know he's a pessimistic person, but you know, he's willing to see the obstacles and look for every opportunity, undaunted by small setbacks or even big ones. Number 10, realistic. Let's look at verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Number 11, he has an eternal perspective. See, it's not about the fullness of life here and now, right? But it is a crown that one, it is a crown that he looks forward to in the end. The crown that God himself will provide. That's the one thing that mattered to the Apostle Paul. It was the glory of God. And that is something that would last forever. And that is what allowed him to give so much to others. That's what allows leaders to give so much to others when we realize that you know, what we're looking to is from God, it's a crown that comes from him and is in the future that he preserves. And I don't have to accumulate so much in this world for myself, but I'm looking to what's to come in the future. And it comes from God. Those are the things that matter the most. Giving time, energy, encouragement into others. Uh, the 12th thing that we see number, on verse 26 is a clear conscience. The one we see is clear conscience. He had that ability to do all that he was called to do, to do it without distraction, to do it with focus, but also in the end, leaving the results to God. He knew what his job was. He knew what God's job was. Paul preached, God converted. And it's good to know that you've done all that you can and you've dispelled your responsibility well. Have we ever dispelled it perfectly? No, we can dispel it well, trusting God for the results. So that's a consideration of the Apostles Paul life. You know, what is it that brought them to that, to that love that's there? We're going to be back there in a minute, but first of all, let's go to our last word in Hebrews 13. Our last word is to imitate, to imitate. See, those qualities are the ones that should become ours. That's what he's saying. We don't originate, Right? We copy. We're all imitators. Ultimately, if there's anything good, we're all imitating. Ultimately, our imitation comes down from Christ. Right? Turn to 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. That's what it says, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. So you can think of it like the Apostle Paul's list. Right? It's, it's pretty daunting. But there's one thing he needs to start with. He needs to start with faith. And that's the starting point. That's the origination point of all of them. You can see any of these qualities continue to develop in your life, they aren't too much for anyone to have or to grow in, but it starts with faith. Faith in Christ is a starting point. Be connected with our very purpose. That we have to be reconciled to God and build our life under him. And too often we can look at the leaders of the past and idolize them, want to imitate them, but maybe not holding on to the faith that they have, that trust we can say, oh, I want to be more loving, joyful, present, patient, generous. I want to be more available to my family. I want to make a bigger difference in my community or in my life. Without a faith, you can't imitate that. It ultimately comes from Christ. It doesn't come from within. It really comes down from God. It comes from God into us. But we can't, we're not the source of it. 
And so we imitate their faith of repenting of our sins, grieving over our sins, asking for God to forgive us. And if you you don't think that you can, have that faith to believe in Jesus. Just pray daily. God, give me a heart to believe. Help my unbelief. That's a biblical prayer. Help my unbelief. But we also imitate by action. You throw yourself into the same thing the leader did. The fruitful life, sharing the gospel and seeing people converted. To study with your family, the radical obedience to Christ. As you think through some place of your life that you want to see growth with, you see what they do and you imitate that. you got to have the faith to begin with. Trusting in Christ for the results. We're imitators. Isn't that what he says in 1 Corinthians 11.1? It's pretty simple. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. See, because it's him who deserves to be imitated. He's the source of everything that's good in our lives. Only he was perfect in God's purpose. Only he was perfect in God's love. Only he was perfected in God's joy. Only he was perfected in holiness and a perfect relationship with God. That's why we look to Christ. And people today, they don't see Jesus, but they see us following Jesus. And we want people to know the source of any power, and it's in Christ. People will follow you. I mean, that's the truth. People will follow you. You have some influence inside your life. And so the question is, 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 it, is it a good way that you lead? Are you following Christ? Now, briefly, we'll look back at Acts chapter 20 and just kind of round this passage out and see where he gets to these tears. We see in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. What Paul does in verse 28 is he gives them some instructions. What are they to do as they move forward? He's speaking to the elders. He says, pay attention. Pay attention to your godliness. Pay attention to the church. you got to pay attention to both. You can't just do one without the other. It's a good instruction for parents. It's a good instruction for church leaders. It's a good instruction for anyone who want to have, um, you know, to speak the word of God and to help others to walk with Christ. You, you can't see the godliness in others if you don't cultivate it inside of yourself. Right? It, it needs to happen here. You know, we're going to be focused on the wrong things, attentive to other things which are distractions. But if you're not extra- attentive to their needs, you get absorbed in yourself, your own sin, your pleasures, your own pursuits. There are plenty of wolves who will come in and they'll devour the flock. And so overseers, he's saying they have a stewardship to see their examples. They need to be godly. They need to be good caregivers as well. Well, why is this so important? You see at the end of that verse, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Jesus, his own blood, poured out for his church. Nothing matters more to God, more precious than gold or silver, precious jewels, the blood of Christ. Verse 29 goes on, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Then verse 31, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. Isn't this one thing that we see of a leader? A leader prays, leader prays for his people, a leader prays in a way that cares, even through tears, he says. We thank God for those who take time to pray for us. 
verse 32, and now I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Don't you see this hopefulness that he has towards them? He is fully confident in, their, in God's ability to grow the church through their leadership. He's confident in them. He's, he's passing baton. They're going to be the ones who carry it on. He believes that God can work in them and that he will. And he's just this relentless encourager to them in this time of need. A relentless encourager. He's, he's so hopeful in the power of God. You know, is that what we need from our leaders? Isn't that what we need from those around us? Yes, the calling to guard, protect, the calling to walk in personal holiness, but also the support and the hopefulness of others that as we walk and as we grow in it, that, in God's grace, we'll be able to do it. Verse 33, he goes on to say, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, you yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me in all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What do we see? We see contentment, we see diligence, and we see generosity. Just all qualities of a leader who moves us forward. Contentment, Diligence, generosity with time, generosity with money, generosity with energy. So is it any surprise that we'd see at the end of this, as describing this ministry, that they would weep when he left? That they'd carry on like they did? That they'd share these kisses and these hugs? They were well loved by the Apostle Paul, and they loved Paul. And it was right to embrace, to kiss, to pray. But they needed to let him go. They brought him to the ship, and they knew that was his future. God had another plan for him, and they had their own calling to go back to their church and to imitate the things that they were called to imitate, to do the things that he had done. Now let's go back to Hebrews chapter 13, and let's look at verse 8. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. There's an important theology here. It's the immutability of Jesus Christ. Immutability is a big word. Do you know what it means? Not changeable. Jesus Christ doesn't change from age to age. He is God, and, and God's unchangeable nature or his immutable nature is an important quality of him. God doesn't think one thing one day and do something else the other. He make, doesn't make a promise one day and say, I've changed my mind on that promise tomorrow. God says when he makes a promise and a covenant and commitment, he carries through with it. The way he leads his people in the past is the same way he leads his people in the future. God is unchangeable, and we see that in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And there's one message that is critical for all generations, and that is the message of the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, and eternal life. And so when there are things like leadership changes, Things like persecution, it's easy to feel loss, it's easy to fear for the future, and so that's why this was probably written. As much as our leaders change, or circumstances change, Jesus doesn't change. He's still head of the church. He still sovereignly leads his church to the spirit according to his word. He still gives gifts to men, to women, to serve the church. He still raises up local congregations. Men, women, children serving and building his kingdom. 
And that's because Jesus is leading. He will always be leader. He's leader in wars. He's leader in famines. He's leader in persecutions. He's even leader in prosperity. Jesus reigns now and forever. And the turn of history is for his aims. May seem slow. We may wonder in our very limited, very finite perspective of time, but he will accomplish his will in his purposes. And that one message to repent of our sins, believe in the gospel, to confess Jesus Christ and obey his commands, that's the message that he has us to make known into the world. There may be different leaders with different vision, different gifts, but Jesus is still in charge. And our job is to listen to Jesus, to listen to his spirit, to obey his word, and to see how he's calling us to obedience and faith. And then we realize that what we gain under that leader are the benefits that Christ worked in us. The Christ who is still working. Things may be different when the one we love is gone, but Christ is not different. It might be harder when persecution or suffering hits, but Christ is still good. And so have you known the impact of a leader who showed you how to enjoy God? How to love the Lord Jesus Christ? who showed you forgiveness and grace? Have you one who showed you how your sins can be forgiven, that you would have eternal life? If not, you know, my, call, my challenge is to look for one, to sit under one, to, to listen, to grow, to hear about the promises of God, about the forgiveness of sins, about grace and obedience, and about the Great Commission, and, and telling the world about Jesus. But if you, had a, if you have had a leader like that, Know that is Jesus' gift of love to your life. To learn of his love, to find the true source of joy, to know that your sins can be forgiven, how sin loses its power, that's God's grace. And so this is a time for us as a church, especially to see God's kindness and to give thanks and to remember and to consider and to imitate you know, to take the things we've learned and, and you press forward in those. We, we serve Jesus, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We know his heart for the lost. We know his passion for his glory. We know his sovereign power. I mean, those things are unchanged. And that's what we're called to do, to continue about his work, no matter what happens around us. Our best leaders, they point us to Christ. That's because Jesus ultimately is our hope. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, our Lord Jesus, Father, into the world. Father, that we'd be led by him. Father, that though uh, this world has its griefs and its sufferings and its difficulties, we are led by the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we're thankful for those who've pointed us towards him. Point us to his character. Point us to his nature, to his love, his joy, his holiness, his perseverance. Father, we're thankful for those who've demonstrated those qualities in our lives and then passed them down to us. Those who believed in us and encouraged us to walk in those and, to, and shared that gospel with us that we could move forward in the truth of your word. Father, those who, who inspired us in so many ways in pointing towards you. And Father, as we consider their way of life, Father, help us to imitate. Father, that others after us would see it in our families, in our church, in our community, in our workplaces, that other people would see the power of your grace that is working in the lives of your people. 
God, we ask you for your help in all these things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.